I want to ask you today, how do you introduce yourself when you're speaking to people? Like, what do you, what do you say? What do you use? Do you use your first name? Some of you use your first name. I, I like to use my first name. I'm like, hi, I'm Ryan. Some of you feel the need to say Pastor Ryan. You don't need to do that. Just Ryan is good. Some of you don't like your first name. Some of you like a nickname, like not the name you're born with or on your certificate. That's how we have Christopher, who's now known as Joe, or Ludovic, who's now known as Louis. And if you knew that, spilling some secrets today. Uh, some of you introduce yourself as a doctor this or professor this or your honor. Like we all just have different ways and different titles that we give each other when we're introducing ourselves to other people. Let's practice it right now. Quickly tell the person in front of you or behind you, who are you? Well, you do it quickly, go for it. Even if you're online, you can do it now. What I have found often pretty interesting, and I don't know if you've maybe seen this when you've been reading the Bible, but often when I'm reading the Bible and I hear how the apostles introduce themselves, I've often thought it's pretty odd. Like, why do they introduce themselves like that? Because I don't know, if I was an apostle, well, you're looking at them and you're looking at their ministry, their churches are exploding and there's miracles everywhere and people being saved and the Lord's adding daily those who are being saved. I mean, it's like just amazing what's happening. So if I was going to write a letter as Paul or as Peter to the churches, I could imagine sitting down and saying, hi, well, this letter is from Paul, the anointed, highly favored, mightily used. Blessed child of God, the champion of our faith. You, you could imagine him like, well, this letter is from Peter, the apostle, supernaturally empowered on the day of Pentecost. You're welcome. <laughs> right, you could imagine like, as they're writing these letters, like that in my mind would be like a fitting introduction for these massively mighty men of God. And yet, when you're reading through the letters, have you, have you noticed how odd their introductions are? Because they don't introduce themselves like that. In fact, let me just show you two of them, and this happens many times in scriptures. Let's look at the opening lines of the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. When Paul is writing to the Romans, he says this in Romans 1, verse 1. Opening line, Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is how they sing themselves as bondservants? Everyone say bondservant. I mean, I just find it really odd because I don't even know what it is. Like, what's a bondservant? Right? As we're reading this, we don't even have a reference for that. We don't even have, like, a way to, like, understand how bondservants work. We don't have any bondservants around. So, we read this, and it's like quite an odd thing for him to call himself, or for them to call themselves, bondservants. And actually, if you look into it, what you'll find is that bondservants have something to do with slavery. Now, some people, when they're, they're reading the Old Testament, they'll, like, they'll point to the Bible and slavery and say, see, the, the Bible endorses or encourages slavery, but what they're not really understanding is how slavery worked in the Jewish tradition. So let me just give you some context. In biblical times, if you, if you made a debt that you couldn't repay, 
Like if you got so much debt and now you can't repay all these people you owe, well, there weren't options in the Jewish times like bankruptcy and liquidation. If you were in debt and you couldn't pay the debt, you went to jail, right? Like that was the punishment. You went to jail. Now, sometimes there would be wealthy people in the community who would actually go and purchase you out of jail. And they would do this by settling your debt on your behalf. How cool is that? So they'd go to jail, they'd pay off your debt. But legally, if someone did this, you were bound to them for seven years as a slave. For seven years, you would have to wait. Basically, you're paying off your debt. So for seven years, you're their slave. And, and it, you're doing this because they've paid the price for your debt. They've paid the price for your freedom. But legally, after seven years, you were done. How cool is that? You were free. You didn't have to work for them anymore. You were no longer a slave. Like after seven years, your debt was gone. You could kind of press reset in life. But sometimes, sometimes an odd thing would happen. Sometimes a person whose debt had been paid would be so grateful for their freedom. They would be so overwhelmed by the debt that was paid on their behalf. Sometimes a person who was set free from prison would realize that even their seven years of working does not yet pay back that debt. What they would do is that they would then willingly become a slave for that person. And to mark the fact that they are now a willing slave, they would put a nail in their ear, in their earlobe. And if they put a nail in the earlobe, this would identify them as a bond servant. A bond servant was someone who didn't have to. They were not obligated to work for a master anymore. But because they were so grateful for the debt that was paid on their behalf, and they were so grateful for their freedom, they now willingly submitted themselves and willingly became slaves of their master. They willingly gave up their rights and their lives to become slaves to the master. Now, when Paul and Peter are writing and they're, they're calling themselves bond servants, what they're saying is that they are so grateful that someone paid the price that they couldn't pay. They're so grateful that someone paid that debt. They're so grateful that someone released them from the prison of bondage that they were in, that now they willingly give their entire lives back to the one who did it. They willingly give their entire lives, like they hold nothing back. They have no rights. They have no life other than to serve their master, Jesus Christ. He is the one they are willing, they, they, they're, they're nailing their ear to this commitment. They are bond servants of Christ. And they're doing this in order to serve Jesus and the church. And I was reading this, and when I understood what a bond servant is, I, I don't know about you, I found that incredibly challenging. Because how do you want to be perceived in the kingdom of God? What will you call yourself? How would you introduce yourself to fellow Christians? Because it's interesting that as you go through these letters, what you see is more and more and more people who were willing to pour out their lives for Jesus Christ. People who were willing to give to the extreme, to sell their property or sell their houses. People who were willing to feed the poor and give of their clothes and, and serve. Just people who were, the more they grew in Christ, the more willing they were to pour out their lives. 
To the point that the apostles, these mighty men of God, would even call themselves bondservants, willing slaves. I'm a willing slave for Jesus Christ. Now, just like every church, this church had needs. And so the early church certainly had needs. And so what we saw is these people within the church would meet the needs. So, I mean, let's have a look at this example in Acts chapter 6. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, from verse 1 to 7, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, sound familiar? Saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. And they said, well, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected. Everyone say well-respected. And they're full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And so everyone liked this idea and they chose the following men. It says in verse 6, These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid hands on them. And so God's message continued to spread. His work continued to move. And the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted to. Here's a great example of what was happening in Scripture. There was a need in the church. People needed to be fed. And because the church was growing so rapidly and so fast, they were running out of hands to meet this need, but they didn't want to distract from the main need of the church, which was to feed people spiritually. And so what did they do? They said, let's look to the church, the people sitting in the pews, the people occupying the seats, and look, is there anyone who is well-respected and has grown spiritually in wisdom? Is there anyone who's grown to the point where they can now give of themselves? And this, guys, is a constant theme in Scripture. As we grow in spiritual maturity, we start to not just be fed anymore, but now we start to feed others. Now, we can't feed others when we join the faith because we're spiritual babies. And babies are dependent, right? They're dependent on every single meal. They need someone to feed them. But as we grow in the faith, we become people who can now feed others and help others. And so the apostle said, let's look to the church and see, is there anyone who's grown spiritually enough that they can now feed others? And it turns out that a sign of maturity is servanthood. Spiritual maturity leads you to servanthood. How cool is that? You know, in the world, when you need to be promoted, they give you awards and trophies and certificates. We're in this whole award season right in Hollywood where there's going to be like the Grammys and the Oscars and the Emmys and the, the Tonys and all these awards and people get up and they get this public recognition. That's what happens in the world. But in God's kingdom, it's very different. When you are going to be promoted, you know what you get? You get a towel around your arm. In God's kingdom, we are promoted to servanthood. Like that's what happens. We get promoted to become servants. That's our reward. We, we, we get to a place of spiritual maturity where we can now say, how can I feed you? How can I help you? 
But what does the heart of the servant look like, church? How does the heart of a servant operate? Because I find it quite interesting. When we, when we ask people to sign up in God's kingdom, when we ask people to like serve each other in the church, we give it a name. We call it volunteering. Everyone say volunteering. What I find interesting about that is that that name is nowhere in the Bible. The word volunteer isn't in the Bible, right? That's not a Bible word. That is a secular word. And that word means this. It means you are giving up freely of your time to the benefit of a nonprofit organization to help them in their cause, right? So we know this word volunteering, but nowhere in the Bible do we find this word volunteer and I think it's a good time for us to remind you right now that this is not a nonprofit organization that needs people to contribute their time and resources. We are, in fact, the kingdom of God, and this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's something different when we understand who we're doing this for and what we're doing this for. And what we really need is men and women filled with the Spirit of God, clothed in humility, ready to serve each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you and I need. And I kind of wonder, what is there a difference between those who volunteer and those who serve? Is there a difference between someone who identifies like, I'm a bond servant of Christ, like that's my core identity, and someone who just wants to be a volunteer for a nonprofit. Well, I think there is. And I think Scripture is really going to show us there is. In 1 Corinthians 12, there's this fascinating incident that happens with David. Uh, he's building a great army. And warriors, some, some warriors approach him. And they're actually asking David if they can volunteer for him, serve in his army. We're going to pick up 1 Chronicles 12 from verse 14. says, these warriors from Gad were army commanders. The weakest among them, listen to this, could take on 100 regular troops. That's like the weakest of them. And the strongest could take on 1,000. These were the men who were crossing the Jordan River during the seasonal flooding at the beginning of the year. And it drove out all the people living in the lowlands on both the east and the west banks. Others from Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. David went out to meet them and said, If you have come in peace, well, to help me, then we are friends. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies when I'm innocent, then may the God of our ancestors see to it and punish you. I want to just stop it there for a second. What we're seeing is these guys, skilled warriors, famous people, like they're, they're known for their talent and skill. They're coming to volunteer in David's army, but David's first asking this question, what is your motive for being here? What is your motive for helping out? What is your motive for wanting to serve in my army? In verse 18, it says, And a spirit came on Amasai, the leader of the 30, and he said, David, we are yours. We are on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you. Success to all who help you, for your God is the one who helps you. So David let them join him, and he made them officers of his troops. It's interesting to me that we see these guys approach David. Now, these were mighty warriors, 
famous for what they could do, famous for how they operated, for their skill. And yet, they didn't wait for David to approach them while they were building the army. They showed initiative. And it just kind of reminds me of people that I know that are in the kingdom of God, should be in the army of God, but they're waiting for someone to approach them, right? They've got the giftings and the maturity and the talent and the ability, and they know they should be in that army, the army of God, working for the kingdom of God, doing God's work, but they're kind of just like, well, I'll wait until someone asks me for help. And when that happens, then I will help. But I love the initiative of these men to say, no, well, we're approaching you because we understand the giftings God has put in us. It's for his kingdom first. And so they approach David. And when they approach David, David really is asking, what are you coming to do? Like, what is the real reason here? Are you coming peaceably? What is your agenda for being here? Now, a lot of times when people come to serve, they come with a lot of different agendas, right? Uh, some people want to do it for themselves or for recognition or for praise. Some people coming, but they've really been hurt in church. They've been hurt in serving before. They're coming like kind of bruised soldiers. So the question is, do they come peaceably to build up the kingdom of God, to build up the army? In other words, what I'm just trying to find out is like when people come to serve, are they coming with a, the heart of a servant, a bond servant, or the heart of a volunteer? You might be thinking, well, Ryan, what's the difference? What's the difference between someone who volunteers for a nonprofit and someone who serves in the kingdom of God, who serves Jesus Christ? Well, I think the difference is like night and day. First of all, when you're volunteering, well, then volunteering is something you do, but serving is something you heart. Look at someone and say, it's something you heart. Uh, Josh, is he struggling there, buddy? It's just this LED light up here. It's something that you heart, right? Now, when I'm volunteering, it's all about what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing and look at how I'm doing it and look at the way I'm doing it. But when I'm serving, really, I'm focused on the heart of what I'm doing, the unseen thing that no one can see, right? No one can see really my heart and what's going on in the inside. But I realize that what I'm doing is not for you to focus on what I can do. It's for God to focus on what I'm doing. I have an audience of one. I'm really performing for one. Volunteering is really about what I do, but serving is what I heart. Volunteers focus on what they give, but servants focus on what Jesus gives, right? I mean, when you're a volunteer, that's often what you're saying is like, oh, I give so much and I've given so much. I've given so much energy and so much time, so much effort and so much of myself. It's kind of the reason that giving is, oh, I want to give, I want to give so much. But actually serving focuses on what Jesus has given. And when he's your focus, you realize, well, he's given so much, I could never outgive him. I'm going to live my life grateful for what he's given me. I'm going to live my life trying to pour out what he's given me. I'm going to give of my life because he's given me so much of his life and anything I can give pales in comparison to what he's already given. Volunteers like to keep score. Servants make sacrifices. Look at someone and say, they make sacrifices. Right, a volunteer keeps score of how much they're doing, how much they've put in. And so over time, they get frustrated and disappointed and jaded and discouraged, especially if they don't get the attention 
they were maybe expecting to get, or if it cost them more than they initially thought it was going to cost them. And so, man, it's like, I'm keeping score. I'm keeping tabs, but not a servant. You know what a servant does? The servant is like, well, sacrifice is kind of the point. Like, that's what I'm signing up to do. I'm signing up to sacrifice. I'm signing up to be inconvenienced. I'm signing up and realizing that I might not always be appreciated. I might sometimes be looked over. I might sometimes get the tasks that are not very glorious and not very glamorous, but it's kind of what I'm signing up for. And you'll know, by the way, if you're a servant, the moment someone treats you like one, because if you hang around a church long enough and start serving, someone is bound to actually treat you. They're going to have the audacity to actually treat you like a servant. And in that moment, often it's when our heart is revealed. It's like, am I really serving? Is like that really what I'm in for? Volunteers keep score. Servants make sacrifices. You know what I find often is that you run into people and over the years they're like, Lord, like they pray this prayer, Lord, use me, use me, God, use me. You know, and then God answers a prayer and they use and then they say like, all they want to do is use me. Have you ever pray for that? Like, isn't the desire to be used? I think that really is a difference between a servant and a volunteer. After all, this is really what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says these words. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. In verse 21, it says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. We're going to say most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. And so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Okay, let's break this up. Scripture is saying that there are unseen parts to the body of Christ. In other words, no one's going to see it. But then he says those parts are the most honorable and the most important. Often you can look at someone like me doing a job like this on a stage like this and think, well, that is a really important job. Don't let it fool you just because it's seen. The body can live without the seen things. It can live without the nose that's seen and the eyes that's seen. The things that are unseen are what it cannot live without, but no one's going to see it. And a servant understands that some of the most important things that I can do for God's kingdom are unseen, behind the scenes, never going to be in the spotlights and, you know, never going to be in front of the crowds, in front of all the eyes. But according to scripture, that is some of the most important stuff we can do for God is the stuff that no one might ever recognize. But I understand. I understand that I'm doing this truly for God, not for man. A volunteer, by the way, doesn't have that kind of attitude. Often the volunteers like, you know what? You need me. And you should be grateful I'm here. And I am the reason this place is so great. And if I'm not here, you're in trouble. Because I can walk away with my resources and experience and knowledge. Don't abuse me. Right? Do you see the difference between someone who's signing up to sacrifice 
and someone who's signing up to be noticed. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Lucifer in Isaiah 14 where he's like, he's like, hey, look at me. Don't look at God. Look at me. Look how good I am. Look at my giftings, right? Praise me a little bit. I want to remind you, church, when pride walks onto the stage, God walks off. When pride walks into this church, God walks out. He's got no room for that, right? It is not about us. And if we are going to be active in God's kingdom, we've got to get that right from the beginning. Our prayer should be, God, use me however you see fit, whenever you see fit. My life is not my own. I lay it down. It is yours. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. A volunteer wants himself to look good. A servant wants to make God look good. Serving is not how I look, but it's really about how can you see God in me? How can you see the love of God in me? The truth of God in my life? In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says these words in the same way. He says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you. Oh, hang on. Somebody said. Let your good deeds shine out so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. This is the idea that you live in such a way that people look at you and say, I can see God in you. I see the heart of the Father in you. I see the generosity and the pouring out love of God in your life. When I look at you, they see your good deeds and God gets a praise. Volunteering is about convenience. Servanthood is about commitment. Right? When I volunteer, it's all about my convenience. It's all about what's on my schedule and my time, but serving is about commitment. Uh, I love this story in 2 Kings 17. I want to encourage you to go read it. There's this group of people. They're trying to get from point A to point B, but every time they do, lions attack them. And it's pretty bad. Like family members are getting killed. Friends are getting killed. So they start asking God, God, please protect us in this journey. Like, please prevent the lions from eating us every time we go. And God answers their prayer. And he holds off the lions. But if you carry on reading a little bit in 2 Kings 17, there's this interesting sentence in verse 33. It says, so they feared the Lord, but, everyone say but, but they also served their own gods. They served the Lord, but they, they also served their own gods. And unfortunately, we still see this very active in Christians today. So we're like, we just want enough of God to keep the lions away. Right? I'm just going to do, I just want, I'll, I want to be connected to God because I understand there's some blessing there and some protection there. So just, I just want enough. I just want in enough. I don't want to be in all the way. So like I fear the Lord, but I'm still going to like Monday to, to, to Friday, I'm still going to like, you know, do my own thing. I want to be connected. I want, I, I want that, get out of he, that, that get out of hell free card. Like how do I get that card? Like how do I sign up for eternity? I want that, but I don't want to be fully in. And I think the heart of the volunteer is like, I'll be like connected, but I don't want to be committed. It's like the guy eating breakfast with bacon and eggs. You know, isn't bacon and eggs a good meal to have in the morning? How many of you had bacon and eggs for breakfast today? Anyone here? Shame. <laughs> oh. I didn't either. Okay, just for the record, but I just thought it would be more. It's a good breakfast. We'll be serving it soon at Life Cafe. Okay, but for now, there's other breakfast there. But... Someone looked at a, a plate of bacon and eggs and uh, they said, who was more invested, the chicken or the pig? 
And then the guy answered and said, well, the chicken was involved, but the pig, he was committed. Isn't that true? The chicken was involved, right? I mean, we got some eggs from him, but that pig, man, whoo, he gave up his life for that bacon. <laughs> like he was connect, like he was in. And I kind of want to ask you, like, what are you on that plate when it comes to the kingdom of God? Are you, are you the chicken or the pig? Because uh, a lot of us, like, we'll give, like, it's con if it's convenient to give and it doesn't hurt too much and it doesn't cost me my life, sure. Have it. If I've got the time and got something free, sure. If I wasn't going to use it anyway, sure. Like, you know, we're as in as a chicken when God's calling us to be the pig. To lay down our life, to sacrifice, to give, to say, God, this life is not my own. I am a bondservant of Christ. I'm committed and I'm available and I'll adjust my life and I'll change my schedule and I'll move my priorities to serve you if needed. I think lastly, what we see the difference in the heart of a bondservant and a volunteer is that volunteering, when you're volunteer, it makes you superior. But when you're serving, it makes you humble. You know, and, and I'll just say this, I was a volunteer for like a massive part of my life and I get this because I think I fell into that. Because sometimes you're doing good like, and people are responding and you're getting to be known and getting to be respected. There's an element of volunteering that can really boost up your ego, right? And the problem is that it's really becoming about you. And so when you're inconvenient or disrespected in any way, if someone treats you like a servant, it's like, whoo, do you know who you're talking to? Like, I'm the pastor's kid. It's like, right? Like, and, and volunteering can do that to you, but actually serving, when you come to serve, it actually is a humbling experience because you are consciously saying, this life is not my own and whatever's needed for God's kingdom, I am willing to do it. Just point me in the direction of the need. You realize that every Sunday there are people that are coming and there's a barrier between them and God for many people. And you can either be the one who helps break away that barrier and connects them more to God, or you can be the one who's adding to the barrier because you're getting in the way and they're too busy looking at you. They don't even see God. Serving, truly serving God is a humbling experience because if you're too big for the small things and you're too small for the big things, and actually, church, isn't that what we all want to hear at the end of our lives? At the end of my life, I'm hoping to hear this phrase from a parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, 21. And he says this to the man who did not bury his gifts, but instead invested his gifts on the master's behalf. He says in Matthew 25, 21, the master was full of praise well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Church, what does a master call this man? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Servant, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a line I am hoping to hear, but we're only going to hear it if we come and truly serve the Lord. When I sign up to say it's not about my convenience, but I want to be a willing bond servant and give my life for the cause of Christ, 
because my life is not my own. So God, do whatever you want, whenever you want. This life is yours. You know, last weekend we got to reveal the vision for 2023, which I'm still very excited about. And we shared that for this is the year, we want to love our neighbor. But this week I came across this verse and I thought it just fits so perfectly in this life of servanthood. In John 15, 13, it says, there's no greater love than what? To lay down one's life for one's friend. There's no greater love than that. If you want to love your neighbor well, lay your life down. If you want to love your neighbor well, let go of what you're calling yours and give it to the purpose of Christ. The giftings you have, the resources you have, the time you have, the personality and experience you have, give it for the cause of Christ so that people can look at your good deeds and when they look at you, they glorify Him. He, in the end, gets a praise from your life and your service. There are so many people in this world, they are trapped in darkness and they are bound by the devil and they are lost and they are hopeless and they will remain that way until the body of Christ becomes an active body that moves towards him, an active body, the hands and feet of Jesus that is not lying down, but instead moving towards him, the activity in the body of Christ as we serve each other and serve the world. That is how this world gets saved. That's the hope of the world through the church. And it includes you. It doesn't include you volunteering. It's about us becoming bond servants of Christ saying, God, my whole life is yours. What do you want to do with it? You know, you might have found this message a bit direct today, and you might be wondering, like, oh, well, how can he go for it like that? Well, one of the reasons I can really go for it is because when I look at this church, you know what I see a lot of? I see a lot of servants. And it blesses and encourages my heart when I look at how you guys serve. When I look at this church, I see so many people willing to go above and beyond without the need for praise and acclaim. They do so many things that are unseen, not even I see them. So many things behind the scenes that just give faithfully and serve faithfully and they're doing it for Christ. And I'm encouraged by your serving. And what I'm hoping for is that we would grow towards more maturity and be willing more to lay our lives down because it truly has an impact. Guys, look around you. I want to tell you, if there were not people serving in this church, none of this would happen. If people were not willing to lay down their lives and pour it into you right now so that you could have this experience, none of it would happen. But as a church of Christ, as we serve each other, the kingdom of God grows just like it did in the first church in Acts 6. It does it still today. And so the challenge today is, will you become a bond servant for Christ? How do you see yourself? What part of this journey are you on? Maybe you're still a baby in Christ, and that's good. We were all there. And then this isn't for you. This is, if you still need to grow, if you still need to be fed, that's good. If you still got lots of questions, that's fine. But perhaps you realize, hey, I've, I've walked towards maturity. I've walked a road. I understand some more, and I can give. I can give to God's kingdom of my time and resources. Then the challenge today is let's be bond servants. If you want to be promoted in God's kingdom, pick up the towel and let's serve together. We pray for you. God, I thank you for your people, your church.
And God, as I look at them, I realize you have put giftings, incredible giftings, and so many of them here. I don't even know them all, God, but you're so aware. You're aware, God, Ephesians 2 tells us, Lord, that there are good deeds you have prepared beforehand in advance for them to do. I don't know what they are, God, but you know. And so I pray, Father, that every single one of us would pick up that call, that at the end of our lives, we would hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, at the end of our lives, we would say that we poured out our lives. We did not hold it for our own, but we gave it to you. In fact, church, I want to encourage you and invite you to pray a very dangerous prayer. The most dangerous prayer you can pray, I believe. And it's not a lot of words. It's just this, Lord, use me. Use my life. If you have the guts to pray that today, wherever you are, just pray it right now. Just quietly, just say, Lord, use my life. Use me. God, this is not my own. I give it to you. Take it and use it for your glory. Take it and use it for your kingdom. God, I know that if I hold on to this life, I will lose it. If I give it to you, I will find it. So take, God, whatever you need. Less of me, Lord. More of you, less of me, Lord. More of you.